Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You stand firm on what has God called you to do? What has he, and he, has he shown up in your life? And he has this conversation with each and every one of us because each and every one of us Without him, when we went to him, we had an idol. We had a king established on the throne of our hearts. For this guy, it's his wealth. But for somebody else, it could have been something completely different. And Jesus would have asked that person to, hey, lay that thing aside and follow me. What is it that the Lord has told you to do? As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he teaches you about the tendencies to point a finger at others when God is talking to you. Don't say to the Lord, but what about them? Pastor James urges us to focus on ourselves and what God has commanded us to do. You don't need to worry about what the Lord has commanded somebody else to do. You need to focus on being obedient to Him. What's God telling you that you need to do? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 10 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. As we're going through the Gospel of Mark, we'll be in verse 13, and you have this really cool little, as you transition away from these Pharisees and these scribes, these religious people trying to trip Jesus up on the, the topic of divorce, you know, is it, you know, is it lawful, is it permissible, and, and all that good stuff. And Jesus always just brought them back to, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? What does the Word say? And so within that same scene, within that same scenario, in verse 13, Jesus is in this house, says, on or one day, okay, so we, we assume that it's still within that same, same town, same house, same region, same time frame. One day, uh, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. Nothing wrong with that, unless you're a disciple, um, unless you're a disciple. Uh, the, the term there, children, technically means it, 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 it's a range, all right? It's from babies, like infants, to preteen, okay? That's the range it's talking about here. So as people or, you know, moms, maybe even dads, uh, individuals are wanting to bring their, their children to Jesus so that he can lay his hands on them and bless them, that's what's going on here. So it's not just like little babies. It could be even preteen. You know, they're just being brought to, brought to Jesus. Why wouldn't you want to bring your kids to Jesus? Bring your kids to Jesus. Like, that's the smartest thing you could ever do. Introduce your kids to Jesus. So they're bringing them to Jesus. The rest of that verse goes like this. But the disciples scolded the parents. They rebuked the parents for bothering Jesus. Like, all of a sudden, they turn into his bodyguards, right? And you're like... They're like the guys who hang out with like, you know, more upper level pastors, right? Like don't come near the pastor. You know, have you ever experienced that in churches? It happens. There's some good reasons for that. And then there's some really just silly reasons for that. But like the disciples have turned into his bodyguards and he never asked them to be his bodyguards. In fact, if you just look back at that Garden of Gethsemane experience where Peter tries to like, you know, he, is, he goes physically attacks 
like none of the, you know, soldiers or no, no like main threats, but like the servant guy, Malchus, I think is his name. Peter like chops that dude's ear off. Jesus is like, what are you doing? I didn't ask you to do that. And he also didn't, he never asked them to, hey, you know what? When we go into this house, can you guys make sure that no babies come near me, please? Like that's not Jesus. But the disciples, because, because of the fact that children were not really valued back then, Okay? They, weren't, they weren't valued that much. It wasn't until they came of age and where they can actually contribute to the family that then they had value, which is kind of sad. Sad. Jesus is, he's not about that, that way, of, uh, that way of thinking. But the Jews are reflecting that, what was common back then. And you got all these little kids and they're like, no, don't waste his time with these little ones. We need to give him space and margin for more important people than kids. That's kind of sad. But that's who his disciples were. And they, so the disciples rebuked the parents for bothering Jesus. Let me tell you this. For you parents, you will never bother Jesus by bringing your kids to him. Okay? So you constantly pray for your children as often as you think about it. And it doesn't matter if they're little bitty guys or they're grown-ups. You keep praying for them. You keep bringing them to Jesus. He never gets annoyed with that. He will never get annoyed with that. But you can just envision this as he's there in a house and, and all these parents are just trying to bring their kids so that Jesus could lay his hands on them and the disciples are just blocking them. No, hey, get out of here. Shoo, shoo. He didn't have time for kids. Jesus doesn't have time for babies. It's sad. What, what's really sad is that this is still, like, um, still somewhat reflected within our society today. There's not a lot of value on kids today, right? And this may seem counter to what we're like, no, of course, we love babies, right? But do we? Do we? As a nation, do we? We don't value kids as much as Jesus does. I'm going to tell you that right now. Our world does not value children as much as Jesus does. And he is the standard. He's the standard. In this day, at this time, within Rome, civil, Roman civilization, they would have trash heaps where if you had a kid and you didn't want that kid, you put the kid by the trash heap for anybody to take, for anybody to take or for that child to die. That's what was going on culturally during this time. Kids had no, no intrinsic value for the most part. And here's Jesus who's like, I love kids. Bring the kids to me. Bring the kids. Other rabbis at this point in time, and this is probably why the disciples did this, would push kids away. Don't waste my time with kids. Right? What are they, they going to do for me? They don't have jobs. They don't make money. Right? And so that's probably why his disciples were doing that is because they've seen that reflected from other rabbis, okay? And, and other rabbis' disciples maybe were to serve as bodyguards. But Jesus is like, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Even within our day today, I mean, again, there's, there's a lot of statistics that are out there, and I'm not even talking about abortion or anything like that, which is a very sad. That's a, that's a tragedy that is happening within our world serve on the board of the pregnancy center here in Galveston. So I hear the stories. I know firsthand what's happening out there and the numbers. 
And when states begin to make these laws, which are good laws, of all the numbers of people who flee to other states to, to try to solve these issues. I mean, that's, that's a part of it, but that's not even all of it. There's, there's kids, millions of kids die each and every year because they can't get a hold of medicine that only would cost nickels, you know, for them to get these treatments. And I mean, how it was then is still how it is today. And, and we've made advancements and all that good stuff. But my goodness, either children are neglected within our world or they're targeted within our world. And we even see that, not even to go into any hot topics or anything like that. But, but you've got to understand the world doesn't care about your kids, but the world is also after your kids. So get them to Jesus. Because you don't want to get your kids to Jesus. The world will gladly welcome your kid into their existence and into their philosophy of life and worldview, get your kids to Jesus. Because somebody does want your kid. Jesus wants your kid, for sure. But there's an enemy who wants your kid as well. And I praise God that here's this beautiful story where Jesus is like, hey, knuckleheads, knock it off. Like, these guys rebuke the parents, but then Jesus turns right around and he rebukes his disciples in front of all the parents and the kids to let them know, you're wrong. You're wrong. I mean, here, Jesus gets the, the, uh, the, the wordage here is like, it doesn't do it justice, okay? Uh, verse 14, it says, when Jesus saw what was happening, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, it says, he was angry. He wasn't just angry, he was indignant. He was furious. Jesus can't get furious. He was furious, he was angry. Can't get angry. That's a sin. That's not a sin. Read your Bibles. Okay? Read your Bibles. It, there is a time and a place to be angry. And when there's an injustice happening, you get angry about the injustice. These little kids were being denied access to Jesus who created them, and that made Jesus angry. We also know of other encounters or, or times in Jesus' life where he turned over the money, you know, the money tables and all that stuff. He was angry, and people like to, well, see, he wasn't perfect. My goodness, you have to be angry at times. It's a natural emotion given to us by God. Use it in a holy way. Get angry about something. You should be angry about stuff. Don't walk around angry all the time, okay? Don't let the sun go down on that. But there are things that should move us emotionally, either breaking our hearts or making us mad. And you have plenty in this world today to do one or, one or, one or both of those things. Jesus was upset. He was angry. He was indignant with his disciples. And he said to them, let the little children or let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Don't prevent them. Don't stand in their way. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it, will never inherit it. Unless you are childlike, you're not making it. Grown-ups, you need to have childlike faith or you can have adult faith. Always go with the childlike faith. Because adult faith is no good. It's no good. You know that experientially. You know what it's like to like when you first gave your life to Jesus, it was like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I don't understand it all. But that's fine. I trust you completely. 
then you get jaded because of life and experiences and all that stuff. And you're like, well, I don't know if I trust Jesus totally. That's adult faith. Adult faith is very conditional. It's very conditional. What have you done for me lately kind of a deal, right? Prove it to me, Jesus, then I'll believe. That's adult faith. That doesn't work. Childlike faith is, I'm all yours. You said it, I believe it. I'm in. That's childlike faith. Those are the ones who inherit the kingdom. They inherit the kingdom. And he's calling his disciples out on this. And he's using these very kids that they don't want to let come to Jesus as an example of like, this is what heaven's like. And you're missing it. Don't miss it. Okay? So he, he brings the kids in. Verse 16 says he took the little children in his arms. That's like one of the most beautiful pictures. If you, this is where if you, you know, ever go through a how to study the Bible kind of course or curriculum or anything like that, one of the main things that has to be taught within those things is you put yourself in the story. Put yourself in that home. And then you see Jesus embracing these kids because that's what he's doing. He's putting his hands on them, and he's like, you know, on their head, and he's praying for them, and he's embracing these kids. One of the most beautiful pictures out of the Gospels. He places hands on their heads, and he blessed them. He, like, was praying for these kids and their, their future lives and what, what he had in store for them. Amazing, amazing. And then the contrast to that little cool story is this. You have a rich young man, a rich young ruler, as the Gospel of Luke would say, who's going to, he's going to, he's about to show up in the scene, but he's the, the direct contrast to these little kids, childlike faith and adult faith, right? So we get, the Gospels are going to give us uh, this other practical example here. Verse 17, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, so he leaves the house and he's headed up to Jerusalem, the man came running, a man came running up to him and knelt down. And asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay? This guy's, I mean, he, he plays the part really well. Like, he, he's bowing down before Jesus. He's addressing him as good teacher, which no Jews would address any rabbis as good teacher. Okay? Customarily, no, they would never, they wouldn't address, address any rabbis as a good teacher. Because the good here is a, uh, it's really implying absolute perfect. So he's got some of the verbiage even right. Like he's, he's addressing Jesus as like, not just teacher, not just rabbi, but good rabbi, good teacher. But then it goes south. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to have eternal security? Jesus addresses this, this young man, first off with the question, why do you call me good? Nobody else has called him good teacher. And what, what Jesus is about to do with this guy is, is really just draw out, uh, draw out from within his heart what's, what's actually going on. He says, why do you call me good? Why are you calling me absolute perfect, absolutely perfect? Jesus says, only God is truly good. So it's not like this guy is ascribing to Jesus deity. He's just maybe trying to get in his good graces. You know how we do that sometimes with uh, influential people? We pay them lots of compliments because maybe they'll remember us 
or give us a follow on social media or something like that and boost, you know, our presence or whatever. Maybe he's just trying to work Jesus by using words that nobody else were were using and calling him a good teacher. But Jesus says, hold on, before I I answer your, your question, let me ask you, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Only God is good. And so he kind of plants that little seed in this guy's brain. He also plants that seed within his disciples' brain. And it's another just little slight kind of reference to the fact that Jesus is ascribing to himself, he is God, okay? But then he goes on, verse 19. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. And you must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother, right? So that's the the second part of the tablet, right? The first commandments of the tablet deal with your relationship with God. The other half of those 10 commandments deal with your relationship with mankind in a community type scenario. And Jesus addresses the second tablet because he already knows the guy can't answer what he's about to answer to the first tablet, all right? So he throws out this nice little moral test, so to speak, He's like, you know, what the, you know what the law says? The young man replies, teacher. Notice he doesn't say good teacher. He just says teacher. Okay? He dropped the good pretty quick, didn't he? And that's, that, and that's purposeful within the text. He's no longer a good teacher because I think he's like, oh, man, I don't, maybe I don't know who I'm dealing with. <laughs> but he's like, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I've never killed anybody. I haven't had adultery. I haven't, I haven't stolen from anybody. I haven't testified falsely. I honor my father and my mother. I've done all these things. I've done them all since I was a kid. Since probably what he's indicating there is since I've come of age, right? Because remember, babies to a certain age, to the preteen years, up until maybe about 12 years old, didn't really matter all that much. So this, even this young man's just saying like, listen, when I became a man, I've obeyed the law, Okay. I've obeyed the law. I've done it all. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. This is only found in, in Mark's gospel, this, this love that Jesus feels for this guy. And he doesn't correct the guy. He doesn't say like, well, you know, have you really kept these? He doesn't address that at all. And we know Jesus is uh, how he can dig deep into the law and, and how he clarified a lot of the law. It's not just the external fulfillment of the law, but it happens to, you know, it really has to happen within your heart. You know, the, the whole issue with murder. Yeah, you, know, you may not have physically taken anybody's life, but have you hated somebody? Well, Jesus sees those two things as one and the same. Hate and murder, same thing, okay? Jesus doesn't do that with this guy at all. He looks at this guy he has, he has love for this guy. He has compassion for this guy. Because he knows that this guy, he, he, he doesn't get it. And so Jesus is about to kind of expose his heart. He says, there's still one thing you haven't done. You may have done all those things. And to whatever degree, however you've kept them and all that good stuff, you may be, yeah, you may have done those things, but, but there's still one thing that you're lacking, one thing that you haven't done. He says, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. So, this is a, 
This is one of those things where Jesus is like, all right, so I'm going to move from the second tablet to the first tablet, and actually just to command number one. You should have no other gods. This guy, had a, he, had an, he had an idolatry problem, and it was his money. And note that Jesus didn't even get any background information from this guy. He maybe could tell that this dude had money because of the way he was dressed. Maybe, right? A speculation. He didn't, need to, he didn't need any background information for this guy because he already knows this guy. And he already knows what this guy's struggling with and what this guy's wrestling with. And he's like, yeah, listen, externally, you may look great. And, and in a community setting, you're an outstanding citizen. However, concerning the kingdom of God, you have one thing that's keeping you away. And what's that? That's childlike faith. That's complete abandonment. That's complete trust in, in Jesus. This guy's trust, his hope, was in his bank account. Was in his bank account. And Jesus addresses that. That's why he tells him, he's like, sell everything you have. Give it away. And then come follow me. And the response that the guy has, I mean, you can tell right there, it says, praise God for that, his, his look uh, changed. It says, at this time, the man's face fell And he went away sad. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus just stuck him right in the heart. He just pierced his heart. He's like, yeah, you're you're probably, you know, a great neighbor, outstanding citizen. But God doesn't have your heart. Something else has your heart. And it's your it's your bank account. It's your stuff. Sell it all. Come follow me. And Jesus challenged him with that, specifically him with that, because Jesus knew that that's, that was the issue going on in his life. Now, let me relieve you from something that gets really messed up in churches today. People want to take this command and make it universal. And if you haven't sold all you have and given all your stuff away to poor people, then you're, you're a bad person. That's a lie. I'm sorry to say that, but if we want to read our Bibles out of context, we're going to come up with silly things like that. And that's just garbage theology. This was a specific command for a specific person who had a specific issue in his life. I'm not saying that this doesn't apply to people today because it does apply to people today, but it doesn't apply to everybody today. So don't let anybody make you feel guilty if you have money. Or if you have a nice house, praise God for your nice house. Praise, if you own stuff, then praise God for that. Maybe he's blessed that with you so that you can share that with other people. My goodness, I don't know why we do this to each other. We make each other feel like, and it's always people, I just, I've been doing this thing long enough, 20 years, right? I don't know how many years in the ministry, walking with the Lord for 20 years. And it's always these ones who never do anything that like to put this guilt trip on other people within the body. Okay? You stand firm on what has God called you to do? What has he, and he, as he's shown up in your life, and he has this conversation with each and every one of us, because each and every one of us, without him, when we went to him, we had an idol, we had a king established on the throne of our hearts. For this guy, it's his wealth. But for somebody else, it could have been something completely different. And Jesus would have asked that person to, hey, lay that thing aside and follow me. 
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.